Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? Come on. Man, it's good, to, um, it's good to be in a house that loves Jesus. Amen? Um, I want to I talk today about the Holy Spirit. We're continuing in our series. Um, but before I do, I just want to, I, I always love to do this because um, we pray for a lot of things in this house like a lot of things. Um, and so often the people leading that charge are our pastors, um, and, and we often neglect to pray for them, um, and they're coming upon a new season, and I just wanna um, always be a people that, that doesn't just get stuck in like what we're doing, but remembers like, oh, there are people around us, and sometimes they get neglected. Sometimes, right? And so I just wanna uh, take a moment just to extend our hands to our, to our leaders and our pastors once again um, and, and bless them as baby Eden is coming any day now. And uh, the, the, the cares of the world and the, the responsibilities in all of life, um, let's, just, let's just bless them. So Father, we just thank you for this mighty couple. We thank you that you've placed them in this city to, to do your will and to do your work. And we thank you for, for their covering. We thank you for their shepherding. We thank you uh, for the mighty example that they have been to us. And as they enter into this upcoming season, God, we just together, we cover them in prayer right now, God. We ask in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, God, that you would cover their home. We release the angels of heaven to guard at every single entrance. We thank you, God, that they stand at assignment, ready to operate and to execute any uh, judgment that, needs to be, that is coming against that house, God. We bless them today. We thank you for them. We honor them, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible today, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So I just want to recap the the first two weeks of this series. Um, As we are in week three now, the first week, Pastor JP brought a word, a powerful word, talking about the importance of being connected that the entire goal of the Christian life is to be connected to God because it's what we were actually made for. And then this past week, Pastor JP preached on the Holy Spirit as a divine person, as a member of the Trinity. So we we got pretty nerdy. We talked about theology. We said that God is Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. And so my goal this week is to get extra nerdy. Welcome. I want to teach about the function of the Holy Spirit within the Trinity, what his purpose, what his goal is, what he lives and breathes to do on behalf of God. And I don't think that there's a a better way to enter into this than to to go to Jesus's theology of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a passage today where Jesus teaches his disciples about what it means to have the Spirit of God in us. 
And so I like to do this often. I'm going to give you my entire sermon right now. Cool? Don't leave early because you got the end. This is my entire sermon. The role of the Holy Spirit as God's personal and empowering presence is to, is to mediate and illuminate the life of God to us in order that we would know God. And, and some of you may be thinking, why does it matter if I know, if I have the life of God mediated to me? Jesus in John 17 says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This takes us past a, a, a religion that is um, raising my hand, like saying a prayer, and never thinking about God ever again. It takes us past fire insurance. I came to tell somebody that you can know this morning if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I would argue this morning that it is the most important thing that we would ever know is if the Spirit of God dwells in us. And Jesus teaches that we can know it. If there's any doubt today, we can know that the Spirit of God dwells in us. Amen? So turn to John 14, verse 16, and this is how it reads. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for yourself. Right now, God, we, we, we take our entire lives in this moment, and we turn to you. We open up our hearts and we ask for you to come and speak. We ask for you to come and do the things that need to be done. Where there needs to be correction, God, we invite your correction. Where there needs to be grace, God, we welcome your grace. Where there needs to be a joy that needs to be received, we thank you for your joy. But we invite you to teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, guard my mouth from anything not of you. We thank you for your presence with us, and we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to manifest yourself here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so I'm going to argue today that having an understanding of what the Holy Spirit does as part of the Trinity, as the function, as his function in the Trinity, is the key indicator of whether we can perceive eternal life. Right? Because the gospel of Jesus is really good news. And all of us get this, but we come into moments of our lives where it feels very dry. 
where we come into worship and it's like, I know God's worthy. Really? Only me? You guys are, seriously? Like, I know, like, he's the king of heaven. He's seated on the throne right now. And I walk in like I'm blind. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Right? We have to, we have to, we have to come to grips with the fact that, that, that the gospel, as long as it stays outside of us, doesn't do something to me. The gospel has to do something to us. How does it change me? How does it get into the deepest recesses of my being and get in there and begin to manipulate and, and change my desires in a way that honors God? How does it make me be born again? That's the function of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about today. This is the questions that we have to ask. Is the gospel the centerfold reality of the universe for us? Is the gospel the hinge of which all of history turns? Does it reshape and reform everything in our heart? Is the gospel more formative in our lives than our social and political ideologies, than our personal preferences, than our family heritage, our reputations, our jobs, our dreams, or our passions? The Holy Spirit, as the mediator of God's life, is what does that to us. It's what takes what Jesus has done and places it inside of our very being. This is the difference between life as Jesus offers and life as the world offers. And this is the beautiful invitation of discipleship for every single one of us this morning. If you are tired of Christianity if you are frustrated because you're not experiencing the eternal life that Jesus so clearly speaks about, plainly speaks about, if you're tired of waking up with frustration and the weight of the world on you, there is good news. There is more. Jesus is the more. And it's the life that Jesus offers us. And it comes through the spirit that he gives us. This is what reformer John Calvin said concerning the indwelling of the Spirit. I believe we have it up on the screen. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are separated from him. All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and dwell within us. We need to have, sorry. We need to have a big enough theology of God's love that he doesn't just want to save us, but he actually wants to embrace us. That he doesn't just want to uh, make excuses for the things that we did and, and say, pat us on the back and say, you, you, you screwed up, but it's okay, and I still love you. No, he, it's actually much bigger than that. Our theology of the love of God has to be so much more grand than that, right? It has to be big enough to drown out not just our guilt and our shame, but it has to be able to drown out our passions and our desires. It has to be greater, right? Our affections and our desires for God have to become greater. We have to get a bigger picture of who God is and that we were created for his embrace. And so... Our text this morning comes at a crucial moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. This is one of my 
favorite passages of scripture. I like to think of um, like, like a, like a, like a half, halftime speech of like a football coach, like Jesus has given his boys a pump up speech because he's about to die. He's about to be apprehended by the Roman guard, by the, by the leader of the Jewish uh, uh, the faith in, 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 in that time. And he's like, guys, I'm gonna go. It's gonna be wild. I'm sending you the spirit. Good luck. It's more detailed than that. That's my paraphrased version. But it comes in that moment as what scholars identify as the farewell address. He looks at his disciples, these guys that have given up their lives to being formed and shaped by Jesus in a way that the world has chosen not to be. And he's about to leave them. He's about to say to them, guys, you're on your own. And in, 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 the, in this intimate moment with his disciples, he comes and he has incredible teaching on the importance of loving people, his exclusiveness for salvation, the importance of being connected to him, experiencing the hatred and sorrows of the world, and the promised joy of walking with God. And right in the middle of this halftime speech, Jesus gives some of the most incredible teaching on the Holy Spirit. But before we go into the depths of what Jesus says there, I want to make two observations for us that, 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 that give a foundation for what Jesus says here. The first is that the Father is the source of life. When we talk about eternal life, we have to know what the source is. Jesus says in, in verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father. When Jesus begins to speak about eternal life, the first place he goes is the Father because the Father is the source. Apart from the Father, Jesus says, he can do nothing. He has no direction or purpose. He is completely dependent on the Father. All through the Bible, starting in Genesis, and, and, and here in John, the Father is presented as, as the beginning, the origin, and the intended end that life is directed towards. And as Jesus is preaching on being the true bread, this is what he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will have life. This is important because it, as Pastor JP touched on last week, God never does things outside of God. Jesus' theology of his father is directly connected to himself. He lives to do the will of his father. It shows two things. First, nobody gives God the ability to exist. Nobody gave God raw materials and said, have fun. He simply is. He lives and moves and has his being not in anybody else but in himself. Why? Because he's a loving father and he has eternally loved his son. The whole world declares this truth. When we look at the uniqueness of the human race, if we look around this room, not one person looks the same here. Not even close when we really give, give each other a look. The vast expanse of the universe, when we look at the, the, the mountains in the depths of our unexplored oceans, the glory of God and his power is made manifest. When we begin to... Do we have any scientists in here? When we begin to ponder the complexity of science, matter, gravity, the fact that we just like stay here, quantum physics, all that. 
right? The things that make our minds want to explode. And it, all, it's, all it does is point us to the fact that everything has its source in him. But we see that he also lives to eternally love the son. And that's our second, that's our second observation, that the son is granted life in the father. This is what Jesus says. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, this is bad wording, bad translation, it's choppy, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is not a ragtag prophet doing his own thing. He has eternally existed in the, in, in, in the heart and mind of God. Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He simply is. He's so connected that he teaches that the Father is the source of all things. And this is crucial for, this, for, for his teaching on the Spirit because he says that Jesus sending the Spirit, it's not disconnected from himself. And that's why Pastor JP talked about last week, like if we have a theology of the Holy Spirit that's leading us to do things that Jesus never commanded us to do, it is surely the case that we're tapping into a different spirit. If we have a theology of the Holy Spirit that doesn't recognize the words of the Father or the commands of the Son, we can be sure that we are following a different spirit. There is an interconnectedness about God. The Spirit will never do something that contradicts the Son, and the Son will never disobey the Father. And so what we, what we come to see when Jesus begins to teach is that the Spirit is the one that mediates the very life of God to us. I want to make four observations, and then we're done about the work of the Spirit and how it mediates the life of God to us. First, it enables us to see the risen Lord with the eyes of our heart. Verse 19, he says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Jesus is referring to when they will be gone, when the Spirit will come at Pentecost and they will be receiving the Spirit of God. This is clearly not a physical seeing. There is a difference between natural recognition and spiritual perception. This is the ability to perceive the Lord and his kingdom, where he is at work and what he's doing. Jesus refers to this earlier in John's gospel when he says that those who are born from above are the only ones who can see the kingdom of God. But he doesn't just talk about seeing. He says that the Spirit is also intimate. There's an association. The Holy Spirit is not a force that acts upon the Christian. The true Christian is the person that has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him or her. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can do, right? The Father cannot come and dwell in us. The Son 
cannot come and dwell in us. Only the Spirit can do this. Jesus, what is more important here, sorry, I lost my place. Okay. This is what scholar D.A. Carson says about this. What is more important is that Jesus can speak of the Holy Spirit being with the disciples and in the disciples. And this distinction is important. It is not that with you refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, whereas in you refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the individual Christian. For with you and in you could equally apply both to the church and the believer. With you suggests rather an association, a personal sharing, some kind of fellowship. In you suggests real indwelling. Christians enjoy intimate association with the Holy Spirit and simultaneously they constitute a dwelling for him. How many know Jesus, uh, Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit not just to be our roommate? All my married folks, how many, like, you got, y'all just, y'all aren't just roommates. You guys are lovers, right? There's a difference of what happens when you're a roommate and you're a lover. Jesus created us to be loved by him, to enter into the love of God, and the Spirit is what mediates that for us. He doesn't just want to be roommates. He doesn't want to just endure us. He doesn't just want to get through the day. And by coming into the human person, this is my favorite part. When the Holy Spirit comes, or let me say this, the reason so many of us don't grasp that, the reason I don't grasp that is because I don't know, I don't know how to receive that love. We struggle to receive the fact that it, with all of our junk, with all of our, our mess, God looks at us and he says, I don't just want you to stay the night. I want to be your lover. I want to reveal all of myself to you. But what Jesus teaches here about the spirit that comes and dwells in us is that that spirit of orphanhood, Jesus says that the spirit destroys that. When the Holy Spirit comes into an individual's heart, it destroys the orphan spirit. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus knows that the orphan spirit is what pervades the earth in such profound ways that it is our inability to receive love. It is our inability to receive identity from God. It is our inability to feel like we can even walk in the room and stay the night, let alone be a lover. And in this moment, Jesus teaches that to not have the indwelling of the spirit is to be disconnected from the love of the Father. That's why in Romans 8, when Paul is teaching on the Spirit of God that has been poured out on believers, that glorious passage of Scripture, this is what he says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we have become children of God. And this testifies like, just as, as Jesus said, Paul says that the key indication of whether we are children is the spirit that dwells in us that testifies that we know him. But lastly, it doesn't just testify that we have been brought into the family of God as sons. It also testifies that we have been taken into God's life. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. They would know. He says in that day, you would know that we have been brought into the life of God. This is what Peter is talking about in 2 Peter when he says, we have become partakers in the divine nature. We have come to share in the very life of the divine. This is not a reality that, that Jesus presents as, as one that you can presume upon. The person that has been united to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit knows that they are seated with Christ in heavenly places. There is no ifs, ands, buts, or doubts about it. They have received the spirit of adoption. God does not just want to save us and make us feel less guilty, make us feel less bad about ourselves. He loves us so much more than that. He's not just a tyrant. He is a loving king. And this is, this is, this is the gospel, is that every single one of us don't deserve that kind of love. All of us in our natural inclinations don't deserve to come, let alone spend the night or become a lover. And the, and, and, the, and the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus looks at us in all of our mess and he dies for us. And then he sends us his spirit that then makes us the type of people who are like him. And it's not from this place of striving. It's not from this place of, oh, I got to get this done. It's when he takes us up into his life, we become like him. And so I want to I pray for two groups of people. Band, you can come up. Thank you so much. You guys, they, you guys are band. They're incredible. I don't even know if you're supposed to call it a band. <laughs> My one clap of the day. Band. <laughs> I want to pray for two groups of people today. I first want to pray for, and, and I'll just invite our pastoral team up. Um, I want to pray for those people who don't know God. You're sitting in here and you feel like, you're pro like you feel the prompting of the Lord and, 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 you're, and, and you're seeing the way that Jesus defines eternal life as being, as being brought into God's very life and having the presence of of Yahweh dwell in you, and you're like, yeah, that's not me. I want to, I, I want, I want, and, you, and, and if you want that, I would, I, we want to pray with you today. 
And we wanna stand with you if you want the Lord to do that for you. Then I also wanna pray for the people that have left God. Because if there's one thing I know about the Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. He's a person, as Pastor JP taught last week. But he can also be wooed. He can, his, his affection can be cultivated. And so I, I want to pray for the person that had intimacy with the Holy Spirit and then made some choices and that kind of went out the window. And you feel this invitation this morning because that's exactly what it is. It's all of our invitation. We were made for him. We weren't made We weren't made to just say a prayer and go about living the rest of our lives without even thinking about him. That's not eternal life. Jesus says that eternal life is to know him, for him to know you, right? That's why at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives that really stern warning, caution, that people will do even the work of the ministry. And they'll say, I didn't know you. And we're fooling ourselves thinking, oh, we know God, if we don't. And the invitation is to come, to open up our hearts to him, to open up our lives to him because he wants to. He says he stands at the door and knocks. He stands at the door and knocks. All we have to do, right? Pastor JP says all the time, you, make, you take a thousand steps away from God. All you got to do is turn. He's there. He's a loving father who doesn't give up ever. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. And so, uh, pastoral team, can we just come up? And we just want to have a moment. If that's you, and if the Lord is, is, is working on you right now, and we just, we just want to stand with you. Because Jesus has never lied. His word is true. And he cares deeply for us. So into this time, I'm just going to pray for us. Amen. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you desire for us to know you. We thank you that you have hardwired us. You have knit us together in our mother's womb to be satisfied by your embrace, to be a friend of you. And so collectively as a house, as a family, we just open ourselves up once again, oh God. We thank you that you are the main thing. You are the reason that we were put on the earth. And you have sent us your spirit to place eternity inside of our hearts. And so we open that up to you. We open up our heart to you and we say, come Lord, come and fill that place. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.